And by Paul's needing to address this issue in this epistle, at least some of them believe that the path to justification was through works and perhaps plus faith. Maybe some still believed that it was works and works alone. Maybe others thought it was a combination of works and faith. But to this day, there are people who are seeking to be justified before God because of their good works, plus faith. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 4. Looking at the first 12 verses, Romans chapter 4 first three chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has used 1,873 words to show that whether a person is a Jew or a Gentile, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then toward the end of chapter 3, Paul presents Jesus as the answer to our sin. He said in Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God has made a way of righteousness, not through the keeping of the law, which condemns us, but rather through faith in him who has fulfilled the law, Christ Jesus our Lord. Here in chapter 4, Paul begins to give examples, two examples we'll see today of Abraham and David, showing that they were accounted righteous by God apart from keeping the law or without being circumcised. The law and circumcision wasn't an issue to their being counted righteous, but faith in God alone. Today we're going to see a message I entitled Accounted Righteous from Romans 4, 1 through 12, and I divided it into three parts. Abraham was accounted righteous, verses 1 through 4, David was accounted righteous, verses 5 through 8, and we can be accounted righteous, verses 9 through 12. First point has four verses. I'll read the context and open us in prayer. Abraham was accounted righteous. We read in verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. 
For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. Father, thank you for your word that you have given us, a source from which we can find strength in our lives. But also, Lord, your word teaches us not only about your ways, but how we might be saved. We live in a world that many believe that there are many paths to God, many ways that one could find salvation. And even within the church, within the Jewish faith, there are differences of beliefs on how one might be saved. In Romans chapter 4, Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear what your Spirit said to the church then, but Lord, what your Spirit is saying to the church today. As we hear these words again, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our first point, verses 1 through 3, Abraham believed God, and he just gives a backstory of asking a question, and Paul did this last week. We saw him as well in chapter 3, question and answer. So he's supposing the questions that his letter would have presented thus far. So he asked the question, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Paul asked his fellow Jews here what their forefather, Abraham, had discovered in the areas of works. So the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates verse 1 this way. It reads a little easier for us. What then can we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? And so the argument is, by the flesh, by works, what has Abraham found as far as his righteousness is concerned before God? The Jews, through their laws, their sacrifices, their traditions, they had a work for salvation mentality, as did the Judaizer of Paul's day. Judaizers were Jews and those Gentiles that followed their teachings, though they believed in Jesus Christ, though they professed faith in Jesus Christ, they combined works with faith to truly be saved. So a Jewish Christian might tell a Christian Gentile, in order to be truly saved, for the Gentile male, you need to be circumcised. Male and female, you need to follow the law. This is the path, the way to true salvation, a Judaizer might say. In other words, they believe that it was through their works, plus faith in Jesus, that someone was justified before God. And yet, Paul would argue in Galatians, and if you've not heard this before, I may repeat it as we go through the book of Romans. I don't think I've mentioned it yet, but... The book of Galatians is like a mini commentary to the book of Romans. And so Romans is a bigger picture of what Paul presented in Galatians, a little smaller picture of the same arguments. In Galatians 2.16, he said, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ 
that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not of the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh is justified. Our salvation comes by faith, just as it did for Abraham. This statement, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, came after Abraham had delivered his nephew Lot from captivity. There was a war between nine kings altogether, as you read the story in Genesis chapter 14. And Abraham had heard that his nephew Lot had been captured from the city of Sodom. And Abraham went out, already a wealthy man, he went out with 318 of his trained servants who were born in his own household. It gives us a clue of the wealth of Abraham, even at this point, 318 men who had been born in his house, raised up as soldiers. They went out and they actually routed the armies of these kings and brought back everything, all the captives, all the wealth. And in Genesis 14, 16, it tells us that they brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. And then we find the king of Sodom saying to Abram, he hadn't received the name Abraham yet. Abram, father of many, Abraham, father of many nations. He hadn't received that title yet. In Genesis 14, 21 through 22, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the professor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. So we find that before Abraham went out in this battle, he had sworn to the Lord, Lord, just return my nephew to me. And of any of the goods that might be returned through battle, Lord, I want nothing. Just let me rescue my nephew Lot. And it must have been the prayer. And so he said to the king of Sodom, who offered him everything, just give me my people, you can keep the wealth. He said, no, I swore to the Lord God, the professor of heaven, that I would take nothing, not even a sandal strap. You know, sometimes we, we think that we're perhaps, you know, I can take this little thing. A sandal strap is a very little thing. I can take the shoelaces at least. Lord, I need a pair of shoelaces. I don't. Mine are fine right now. <laughs> but we can have that attitude and we think it's so small that's uh, no big deal. But to Abram, he said, Lord, not even the sandal strap. Then, after defeating an enemy who was much greater than him in strength, and after refusing the wealth of a king and a kingdom, the Lord came to Abraham in Genesis 15, 1, and he said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. And at this point, Abraham was about 85 years old. He had been in the land for about 10 years. The Lord had promised to give him an heir. He had no one, no child yet, no one that would inherit his wealth. In fact, he complained to the Lord at this point and said, Lord, 
All I have is the head servant in my house, Eliezer, one who had been born in my house. He's going to inherit all that I have. But how wonderful to see Abram casting his cares upon the Lord. He'd been 10 years following the Lord, doing what the Lord had commanded him. And he had made some mistakes in those 10 years. And there have been some great victories during those 10 years. But still, the promise of God for a a child, for a son, had not yet been fulfilled. And he, perhaps in a complaining way, he cast his cares upon the Lord. Have you ever done that? The word tells us to cast our cares upon the Lord. Have you ever done it in a complaining way to the Lord? I think we might be all guilty in that. But the Lord didn't worry about that. He knows, as a good father, that we are but just children in his sight. And just as your children might complain about something, uh, your children today might be older like mine are, but there are times that you realize the child does not see the big picture. And if I just let them see the big picture, then perhaps they could have better understanding. And the Lord did this for Abraham. He brought him outside, Genesis 15, 5 and 6. He said, look toward the heaven and count the stars. If you are able to number them, so will your descendants be. And Genesis 15, verse 6, and he believed the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This promise that God would give Abraham these descendants, it came before the law of God was presented through Moses. In fact, it came some 420 years before the law ever existed. So those who walked by faith from Adam and Eve until Abraham, until Moses, Abraham and Moses, some 420 years later, they did so by faith. There was no option of the law. Long before the law was given, they walked by faith. James 2.23 says, So scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so we find that Genesis 15.6 is repeated a number of times in the New Testament. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's here in Romans 4.3. It's found again in Galatians 3.6. And then also in James 2.23, Abraham believed God, and God put righteousness on his account. Paul and James wrote commentary about this, and they related it to the same faith that we can have in Jesus Christ today, a faith that believes God when it seems to go against logic. That is real faith. With that type of faith, we too can be accounted righteous before God. And then Paul gives us a, a general principle in verse 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. Paul reminds us of a very simple concept. Those who work expect to get paid. Has anybody ever done work and not received a paycheck? I worked construction, and I've, in times, had uh, bosses who filed bankruptcy at one time, and this was like in the mid-80s, but I had a boss that owed me 
$4,000 in back wages. And uh, I don't know why, but we had planned a vacation. It was 1985, I remember, because of the vacation. It was probably our first summertime vacation that we had ever taken. Went to Fall Creek Falls down in Tennessee, one of the tallest waterfalls in the United States. Not a big waterfall, but very tall. It's kind of a cool vacation. I remember the year because we packed up our uh, Nissan Sentra 1985, got a car top carrier. We still have that to this day. Anybody need one? <laughs> we don't need it. We packed up that little Nissan and went down to Tennessee and came back from vacation. And I asked my friend that was working and I said, did you get paid yet? And he said, no. He had already owed me $4,000. Probably spent a little money on vacation. I'm sure I did. And so at that point, I told my boss, I'm not working. I'm not picking up my trial until I get paid. So I had to sit down and I got paid. He found money. But you expect, you work, you labor, you expect to get paid. That's why we do it. We don't work for free. To earn a, a living, to earn wages, to acquire a livelihood, to make ends meet, however you want to say it, we work in order that we can provide for our families. But when it comes to salvation, it is not that way. If it is works for salvation, then salvation comes as God owes you a debt. And God doesn't owe us anything. It comes by grace. But even in the Old Testament, we have in Second Chronicles 15.7, King Asa and the prophet Azariah came to him and said, But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work will be rewarded. And so there are times when God will reward us because of our labor. But that is not how salvation comes about in our lives. Yet when it comes to our justification, no one is justified before God because of their works. In other words, we cannot earn our way into heaven. And it is apparent by Paul's needing to address this issue in this epistle that both the Jews and Gentiles believe, at least some of them believe, that the path to justification was through works and perhaps plus faith. Maybe some still believed that it was works and works alone. Maybe others thought it was a combination of works and faith. But to this day, there are people who are seeking to be justified before God because of their good works plus faith. We have this own argument in the Calvary Chapel movement, and that is of those who are in the Calvary Chapel movement standing upon the five points of Calvinism versus those who are dealing with Arminianism. And I'm not going to go into the five points of each of these, but I've always seen and that we are somewhere between the two, that the Bible teaches both of the points. But there is this argument within, and I was this morning, just this morning, caught up into a letter that one of the pastors from a Calvary chapel, who is Reformed Calvary now, uh, presented of why he was taking this reform, that would be the Calvinism, reform position. But the reform position has a work plus salvation mentality. 
It's a dangerous, I believe, a dangerous mentality. Galatians 3, 6 and 7 says, Just as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And so like Abraham, we are accounted righteous by faith. But we also see that David was accounted righteous by faith. Verses 5 through 8, I'll read the context for us. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of a man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute sin. So first, verse 5, faith is accounted for righteousness, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. His faith, the Greek word for faith, pistuo, it means to believe in something or someone to entrust yourself. It is actually in the present tense in Romans 4, 5. And so in present tense, it means is believing. But to him who does not work, but is believing on him who justifies the ungodly, it's in a present tense, is believing. The faith is an active faith. He's not trusting in his own works, but he's trusting in God. Jesus said in John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So the work, our way to heaven mentality, hasn't changed since the time of Christ. When you ask others, and you might have asked this question to someone who is not truly a believer, or maybe they have some type of faith, but they're not grounded in their faith, and you'll ask them if they die today, if they believe that they would go to heaven. Many will answer and say, if they believe there is a heaven, their answer, the number one answer is because I'm good. The reason why I'll get to go to heaven is because I'm good. And I've asked this question before. I did a poll when I was a youth pastor. We did this event every month in the fall through spring. And we, once a month, rented a roller skating rink over in Zion. We eventually had like 125 kids, family members, coming to our Christian-themed skate night. Had a Christian DJ come in and play music and give away prizes and it was a good time. It, it was a good ministry while it lasted. But I would do surveys. And one of the surveys, I remember, I had this question. If you were to die today, and if you were to go to heaven, what would be that answer? And some would answer correctly because I have faith in Jesus Christ. But the number one answer was because I'm good. The problem is, is when we measure what it means to be good, often we base it upon personal or worldly views. Without thought toward God, we define what it means to be good by comparing ourselves to others. But when God speaks about good, he is comparing our sinfulness to his sinlessness, our wickedness to his righteousness, our injustice to his justice. Ecclesiastes 
7.20 says, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Here there's the admitting that there's just men, they do good works, but they still sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. So what must we do? We must believe in Jesus, whom God has sent to be our propitiation. We learned about this last week. Uh, the Greek word propitiation, hilosmos, it means to appease, to be that covering. It, in the Hebrew, it is the word that's used to signify the covering over the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is a box that held the Ten Commandments. It held Aaron's rod that budded. It held a vase that had within that vase some of the manna that had been gathered out of the wilderness. These three items were found in the Ark of the Covenant. But the mercy seat, the hilosmos, the covering, is what covered that box. It was the lid to the box. Jesus becomes the covering for us through which we are saved. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.